Hello and welcome to the Storytelling with Puck podcast. We will, as always, start with a story. Writers are an isolated bunch. We hide away in dark holes with only our laptops for company and usually an assortment of coffee mugs and empty chocolate wrappers, or maybe that's just me. It doesn't matter if you're writing fiction, non-fiction, memoir or a children's book you will often find yourself alone. That's with your thoughts, with your characters, and with your research. We weave our words until a final draft emerges. And then we squirrel it away and we hope that the the writing fairy fixes all those plot holes and they take away our adverbs while we're not looking. And when we're feeling brave enough, we start the rewrites and we edit, we edit, and we edit again until we're happy. And then we step outside of our front door and we find that professional who can cast their expert eye over the work we've slaved over for days, weeks, months, or even years. And that entire process is something we navigate on our own. So no wonder as writers are nervous creatures. Self-doubts and limiting beliefs can derail anyone at any time. But as a writer, locked away in a tiny office for months on end, that inner monologue can make or break your writing career. So I'm a full-time author and I'm in the process of outlining my 18th novel. Those self-doubts still bubble up for me. Every time I submit a manuscript to my publisher, I believe that this is the day they're going to tell me I'm no good. So how do I navigate the lows and silence my inner critic? Well, back in 2016, I received an email that would change my mindset and empower me as a writer. And it was from the acquisitions editor at Penguin Random House. And the email simply said, I've been reading your book and wondered if you have ever considered partnering with a publisher. Cue me having a meltdown and hyperventilating on the spot. (laughs) And once I'd composed myself, I fired back an email, trying to sound as casual as I could. Oh, wow, thank you. Oh, how kind. But every fibre of my being was in, don't blow this mode. (laughs) Emails shot back and forth until a meeting was arranged and I found myself on a train heading to London and the Penguin Random House offices. And sitting in that reception was a pivotal moment in my career. The tub chair I sat in was next to a glass cabinet full of books by world famous authors. And it was pretty posh, but I was desperate to prove that this moment had happened. So I ended up pretending to scroll through my phone whilst taking a foot selfie with the penguin logo on the wall in the background. (laughs) Fast forward and unfortunately nothing did come from that opportunity. The book in question was eventually picked up by an American publisher and it was also produced in audio by W.F. Howes. But that entire experience from receiving the email to having coffee in the Penguin Random House coffee lounge with an acquisitions editor has kept me writing. It validated my work in an extraordinary way. So when I struggle with self-doubts, I remember that day. When my inner critic is louder than usual, I remember that day. When I receive harsh feedback on one of my titles, I remember that day. Having a moment in time or a special piece of feedback or a glowing review 
can be enough to lift any writer from that spiral of self-doubt. You just have to remember it. And that's my story. It's an amazing story. I'm also now picturing um, you taking a foot selfie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the idea of that. Proud moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Shelley, thank you so much. Um, I can't wait to find out more uh, about you. And we're also going to dig into this story because uh, I feel like there's a lot to explore. <laughs> um, but before we do, let's have a quick introduction to the podcast. You're listening to Storytelling with Puck, the podcast designed to show the power of stories in life and in business. Stories connect us on a deeper level which is why we'll be sharing, chatting about, and feeling the impact they have on every one of us. Your host, Stefano, is the founder of Puck Creations, and we work with your business to define a clear, consistent, relevant brand which stands out from the crowd. We use that brand to create content that makes your audience think, feel, and take action. Visit puckcreations.com to find out more. Before you do that, let's dig into the who, when, where, why, and how of our amazing guest, Shelley Wilson. Shelley, please write your way into our lives and tell us a little about yourself. No problem. Thank you, first of all, for having me. I'm absolutely honoured to be here. Um, so I am Shelley, Shelley Wilson, and I am a multi-genre author and a book coach. And I write non-fiction, self-help and also young adult fantasy fiction. So if you think about personal development and werewolves, that's pretty <laughs> much where I stand. <laughs> Do you know, I, I often think about personal development and werewolves in the same... Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> overlap isn't there <laughs> it's clear it's clear to see I imagine that everybody listening right now is like oh god not another personal development and werewolf guest god we have them oh, all the time that's a great introduction um, and it's uh, it's it's amazing to uh, we were talking just before we hit record about the fact that we've never actually met um, before yet we feel like we know each other because yeah. of the sharing of stories and, yeah. and how we've gotten to, to know each other via uh, networking and LinkedIn, et cetera, in the That's past. It, yeah, the beauty of social media. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but um, just uh, listening to your story this morning and starting to discover a bit more about you and kind of some of your different sides of your life and your, your, how your personality shines through. I was really loving the the moments as we've already kind of touched on the the, the foot selfie, <laughs> <laughs> but also before we even got to that with your story, as a fellow writer, I can feel the pains of the writing and the self edits and the proofreading and the professional edits <laughs> and all of the different stages that you have That's to it, go. Yeah. <laughs> process we need to put ourselves through <laughs> exactly exactly it's a bit like um it's a bit like self-torture in some ways I think. yeah it is absolutely right <laughs> but it's usually worth it in the end so how, how when you're working with your clients um you're, you're on the on the coaching side of things especially I guess the ones who are coming to you who have never written a book before and are coming for the first time how do you start to manage that process with them? What do you do to 
get them out of the fear of having to go through all of these stages? I don't, you know, I don't think we ever do get out of that fear, do we? I think we just learn to manage it probably. Um, and there are two types of clients. So some are um, petrified. Oh my goodness, right, I've got this idea. I really want to do it, but wow, I'm absolutely terrified. And that is hand-holding in a different way. And then there are the others who can't wait to get going and haven't really thought about it in a terrifying prospect but once they get going then they realize oh wow this is actually much bigger than I than I first anticipated and then they start to bubble up so I kind of have to keep a beady eye on them all the way through and just check in with them right how are you feeling and my monthly coaching calls I always stop and do a section on has do you feel any resistance are you feeling anything at the moment any wobbles anything at all and it really gets them thinking about it so okay so you've just written 500 words that's brilliant what did you feel writing those words and when they stop and think about it they're like oh you know some of them brilliant I really love those 500, 500 words but other people are like pulling teeth every single word was so hard um, and that's how I kind of find out how they're getting on with their projects because it's all about the emotions um, and we can pour that into our stories as you and I both know um, so there's a way of channeling it but I don't want it to derail them um, and that's the biggest thing really. I imagine that must be a really difficult task both for you and for the author at the time because as you say there's such a variety in personalities <laughs> it's it's not a one-size-fits- Oh, you you can't necessarily say that the way you coach one person is going to work for another person because somebody's going to be scared and another person is going to be completely putting their foot on the accelerator, going full throttle until they potentially hit a roadblock, which can do one of about 10 different things to them. Yeah. <laughs> it can give them determination to, to push on. Absolutely. It can completely stop them. And yeah, there's so many different different alternatives there. So yeah. I, I, yeah, I imagine it must be a really difficult task to have it to is. guide people. I think um, my background, so I ran um, a holistic spa for seven years. That was where mm-hmm. I kind of began. If you, I suppose that's where my personal development journey started um so i was trained i'll use reflexology as an example so i'd have clients booking in for reflexology appointments the process of giving a reflexology treatment is exactly the same for every single client but every single client is incredibly different and they will show different emotions and illnesses and and physical bits and pieces that i have to work with so that almost set me up for the coaching in a very roundabout way, you know, because I can use all those same skills that I use to pick up those little vibes and those little, the language they use and their body language. I mean, obviously it's all done on Zoom now, but you still, you still see the shoulders go up, don't you? Or the, you know, ooh, the terror on the face as, as you're talking. Um, so I think my skills have transferred from, one industry to another but they've really set me up to help um which has been an eye-opener for me really i imagine it is when you're talking about transferable skills we've had a couple of guests on actually in the past who have come from industries which you would never expect to have anything to do 
with the industry that they're currently in. And some of them have actually moved across like yourself into writing or into coaching. Um, I, I came from a sales and marketing background and, and moved uh, moved across the, into, into writing and I still do sales and marketing, but it's a, a different way of doing it now. But what are your thoughts on the importance of having a variety of different backgrounds and experiences in your life that aren't all necessarily, you know, channel tunnel, one way of thinking? I think it's massively important. I think a lot of the times when I do talks, I will, my opener will usually be, I've reinvented myself more times than Madonna, but without a bone bra. <laughs> and that, that's me all over. I, you know, at 16, I was, I was cleaning toilets in a local hotel. Um, at 18, I was waitressing. I've worked in bars. I've been a turkey plucker over Christmas. <laughs> I've done... <laughs> I'm not going to let that one go, by the way. Tell me some more and we'll come back to that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd got away with that one then. <laughs> I there are so many things that I have done in my my life that I use in my stories, not just um, how how the experiences or the skills, but also the characters I've met, the people, the situations. Every single day of our life is a learning experience, and it's something that we can use wherever we end up. Um, whether that is in our storytelling or a different industry or or whatever, or or to pass on to our children as well. That's a great point. That really is a great point. So when you talk about passing all of this onto your children and the different characters that come into your life or passing it on, uh, as you say, to the industry that you moved into, um, which bit of the turkey are you passing on? Okay, that one might be a little bit unique. <laughs> <laughs> I'm genuinely interested though. What was Turkey Blacking like? What, 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 what? I, I have a very, very dear friend who runs a pub close to where I live and um, it's surrounded by farms. So one of the gentlemen that was um, one of her patrons um, is a farmer and I got chatting to him. His sausages were out of this world, but he was really struggling over the Christmas period because he obviously he has to prepare turkeys for you know, for all the, the, the Christmas dinner tables. And he needed to help dress, like plucking them and, and all the rest of it. And um, and I <laughs> I just went, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, it was quite an experience. Quite Luckily I'm not, I'm, I, I, I'm, you're probably going to start, turn off every all the vegans and everything on your podcast now. I do really do apologize about this, but, um, it is an industry, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I just, I went along and helped him and it was just very, very surreal. Um, I, don't, I don't think I even got a turkey out of it, actually. I think he paid me cash. But um, yeah, it, it was it was um, an entire weekend of plucking feathers, basically. Um, Would you have actually wanted the turkey after spending all of that time plucking um, feathers? I'm not think? squeamish about stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, that doesn't bother me. I, yeah, blood gone, nothing absolutely doesn't bother me so um i think that's probably a potential horror writer in me um so if he'd have given me a turkey and i'd have i'd have had that under my arm and away 
<laughs> and you see, you see what you've done there, which I think is the perfect example of how we can link almost anything to anything if we try hard enough. So um, you're talking about the turkey and you're talking about the not being squeamish and the potential horror writer in you. So let's come back to your writing and a little bit away from your coaching again. So when did you, uh, when did you first start writing your first book? And um, was it a novel or was that a business book, the first one? Okay, so the, when I first started writing, I was probably about seven or eight, like most of us. So, you know, the minute I could hold a pencil, I was off and running. Um, I wrote and illustrated my first book when I was about 10. And I, was wow. like, this, I say this because I've actually still got it wrapped in nursery like, um, wallpaper and, and everything. Um, the first book, in my mind, I wanted to be a fiction writer because, you know, when you say I want to be an author, that was what it was. I loved reading stories. Um, non-fiction never even came into my mind at all really. Um, in 2013 I was running my spa and a lot of my clients were coming in and saying I wish I could do this, I wish I could do that but I need motivation and I realised that actually I needed to show them that they could achieve anything if they put their mind to it. So I was like right well I'm saying this to them but I'm not writing, I'm not doing what I've told myself I want to do. I was in my 40s by this point and for 40 years I've been saying <clears throat> I want to be a writer when I grow up. Well suddenly I'm like grown up and I'm like uh, you really need to be starting to do something. So I started a blog. <clears throat> so the 1st of January 2013 I started writing a blog and I'd set myself 52 New Year's resolutions. So I had one for every single week of that year and the, the whole process of it really was Everything that I did, all the tasks I did were to show my clients, right, if you say you're going to do something, you've got to do it. Whether you fail or not, you've just got to commit. So that was part of it. The other part was for me to find a regular writing routine and blogging weekly was, was that, that helping hand. So this carried on. And then I got chatting to a journalist friend of mine who at the end of the year said, you do know you've written a book, don't you? Um, to which I was like, no, that's the plan. I want to write. No, no. He says, you have. He says, you work in the mind, spirit, body, you know, genre. You've got an audience. You've just written 12 chapters in your 12 months. And it was like this light bulb came on and it took editing and tweaking to get it from the blog to a book. But that was my first book. And I self-published that in May 2014. And it got to the number one spot in self-help and also women's biographies on Amazon two years in a row. Wow. And it, it had never been on my radar, nonfiction. I just hadn't even thought about it. But it That's resonated. Amazing. It was, I am very honest in my personal development. So if I fail, I will tell you, oh, no, didn't manage to do that. This is why, you know, life took over. I'm a single mom. I've got three kids. This happened. That happened. Actually, I couldn't be bothered. All, all of those things. I was very truthful. And that the messages I was getting from readers across the world then were, oh, I relate to this. I, this is totally me. Um, and I loved it because I had loads of people telling me that they were starting blogs and they were doing their own challenges, which was just wonderful. Um, and then part of that, um, I took part in National Novel Writing Month in that year during that year and I did the first draft of my fictional novel so I got there in the end <laughs> um, it just took like a year or two then to uh, to publish that so but yeah non-fiction was my first my first um your first venture yeah into the writing into the writing yeah. world it's amazing so you talk there about 
<laughs> writing a book accidentally, <laughs> which, yeah, as, you <laughs> as you do, yeah, um, which, which, which is incredible in itself. But then I love the courage to accept the guidance from the journalist and to say, actually, you know what, maybe there is something here and then go down the process of turning it into to something bigger. But, but what you also talk about, and so I imagine this happened initially with the blocks, is the relatability factor. The fact that you were not only sharing what you genuinely believe to be true and what you kind of, you know, as you say, the times, I think some of the, the best things to share are sometimes the times where it's not because something, somebody else did something wrong. It's not because, um, you know, time wasn't on your side, etc. It's not because there were all these challenges. It's because you just couldn't get motivated and you couldn't be bothered. Because we've all had that. I mean, come on, tell me one person who hasn't, other than maybe Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, <laughs> he seems to always be on, but other than him, I feel like we've all we've all had those moments. Um, so I love the relatability factor. But without even, I I, I apologise, I haven't actually read the book, um, but without even having read the You're book. You're my target audience, actually, so I'll let you off with that one. <laughs> <laughs> you can still reach other people with the book but, <laughs> but but what it seems that you were describing is that with each of those blogs and then when that became a fully formed book you were sharing a story now something that i find interesting when people talk about the differences between fiction and non-fiction is that people often think of fiction as stories and non-fiction as facts bundled together between the pages so that you can gather information. Not true at all. <laughs> I was going to ask what's your thoughts, what, what are, what's your thoughts on, the, on, no, on stories and their use in business? And There are so many stories in non-fiction. Um, I mean, a lot of the people I'm working with in my coaching, there are business books for their industry but they're using their experiences, their isms, their language, how they, <clears throat> how they connect with their customers and clients to share that industry to more or whatever, you know, and all those processes. Um, case studies, when you think about any, any business who has a case study, it's a story. Yeah. Yes, okay, it's social proof or whatever you want to you <laughs> think about it, but it's, it is a story. The world turns through storytelling um, and bringing that into a non-fiction is where you really engage with your audience. Um, nobody, well, there are a small portion of people who love the whole stats and figures and, and all of that because they, they're wired that way. I love a good statistic, I must say, but I prefer to hear how that person has navigated that and found the solution. And that will hopefully resonate with the reader. Um, and if it is through the power of storytelling, then it's more powerful, definitely. It's interesting that um, I think it's something like, let me get this right, 33% of statistics are made up on the spot. Um, and so... <laughs> I <got it. laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, but, but, but no, I, I, I think... What I find really interesting with the whole, there's often a, 
a fight, you know, stats versus stories. And for me, it's not about having a fight between the two of them. For me, it's actually incorporating stats into your stories because people do remember statistics, but not often when they are presented as statistics. They remember them when they are associated with something else, when they are associated with, oh, okay, so this was happening. Somebody was walking down the street and... Um, I use this example all the time. I don't know why. And tripped over a, a, a curb. Um, and then there's a stat about, um, and, and incredibly, um, they were the 425th person to trip over this exact curb within the past week. And then, you know, you're telling a story about the curb and suddenly the curb becomes the whole subject of the story. And, you know, you, you're swinging people's emotions. Yeah. And I think that's the key, emotion. <laughs> into that definitely yeah um uh, also you you talked about case studies yes now uh, we we have a little bit of a bug to bear at Puckerations when it comes to case studies because they are powerful and they can really really do well um do good things for businesses but sometimes they can be so dry because (laughs) the basic elements are covered what was the problem what was the solution and then what was the result afterwards and those things are all very very important but for us we actually changed the term case studies to client stories oh i like that because the client stories have that extra element which is intrigue yeah yeah if you can get people to again feel something to be invested in what you're writing at the very beginning of your case study slash client story. Then you talk about the problem, the solution, and the result. Suddenly you've got people who are wanting to find out about all of that information. What are your thoughts, I guess, because you you mentioned case studies and I know you talked about them being the story. Do you see people doing them well often or do you find that there's, you know? I think you're actually, you've, incredibly right with it being quite structured when some people do it um i did um a post a long time ago now about a florist shop but the way i did it i split it differently so it was i took whoever was reading it i took them on this journey about this particular client that i'd worked with um and i had a lot of comments from it about i love how this was set up so it's amazing when you do play with your the way you're you're setting things out it does have that impact you're absolutely right um and it is about a journey isn't it you know a case study okay so that's a very you know seo term isn't it but we know we know that there's a lot more to these these studies than just facts and figures um and taking somebody on that journey that that they can resonate with um it's that memorable thing it is it is really memorable um and the the language you that's another thing as well is how people talk about so if you're just using that if you've got a same format and you're just changing the name of the company you've used with and the solution that they that you that you provided then that's you know back to that you know boring 30 60 second pitch isn't it that you've revised but if you can tell the story and be unique and authentic and and pull out those those language points and the isms of that particular client or or their issue and solutions then then you capture your audience i think that's spot on um and as you say the 
the, the the industry that they're in maybe or a particular situation that happened which doesn't necessarily even connect directly to what you did to help them but is just interesting in itself and is closely enough related that you know you're not just trying to write a little bit of Harry Potter and then saying now that you're interested um we're going to talk about um I don't know quantum physics (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) which could be quite interesting (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah so there's with everything that you're describing there I think this then links back in my opinion to some of the lessons that we can learn from fiction to use in nonfiction, but interestingly, as you said, your 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 first book was nonfiction. But then, within that period of time, you joined the writing month and you started writing your. Was this now your second book where you started writing? Yeah. Yeah, okay, so your second book was fiction. Yeah, yeah, and that was the first of a trilogy. Um, okay, and so you mentioned earlier the fantasy genre. Is this what this was in? Let's escape for a moment, but not into the world of fantasy just yet. Oh no. So far, everything you have been listening to has been taken directly from real life, but the stories are as powerful as any fiction. Our guest, Shelley Wilson, has already intrigued us with foot selfies, turkey plucking and accidental books, but it doesn't end there. Before we get to Shelley's second book and a puck creation story to finish this episode, it's worth having to listen to another storytelling expert. Here is Andrew Thorpe. We're all in the persuasion business, whether that's pitching to a potential client, selling ourselves in a job interview, or convincing a teenager to tidy their room. How we frame our message and how we deliver it makes all the difference. And this is the theme of my podcast, Leaning Forward. I'm Andrew Thorpe. I'm a speaker, a trainer and a storyteller. And I'd love you to tune in to our latest episode. I absolutely adore fantasy fiction, but I love young adult now. As you can clearly tell, I am not a young adult. (laughs) I don't know what you mean. I can't tell that. (laughs) I have three young adults in my house, but I'm certainly not one of them. However, that particular genre is my ultimate favourite. And um, I mean, that goes back to when I became a single mom, sort of 17 years ago, I was, what was I, 32? And I needed to escape adulthood at every possible opportunity. Um, And I found myself in Waterstones and I was looking at romance novels and the situation of me becoming single was like, right, the last thing I want to look at is romance. (laughs) There was a potential for crime and horror in amongst that work, but I just, I couldn't connect with something I wanted to read. You know, I was a massive James Herbert fan. I used to read Dean Coots. I I used to steal my dad's Wilbur Smiths and my mum's Danielle Steele. So I, I, you know, I had a lot of different books that I loved. And then I stumbled into the teen section and I picked, picked up a book that was werewolves, um, interestingly. And I thought, oh, I'll give this a go. It's a bit different and fell in love, absolutely fell in love with the whole coming of age. And I think what it was, it was massively an escapism for me. It was right. Actually, this 
my world at the moment is actually quite scary. So I'm going to go back to being 16 year old, you know, living at home in the safety and sanctuary of mum and dad's house. And all I had to worry about was what I was going to wear that night. And oh my goodness. So, you know, it, it was taking myself back to being a teenager and all of those, the trials and tribulations, you know, the, I, I watch my daughter now, she's 19 this year and, and the drama that can unfold, you know, but it's not really life-changing drama. It is for them at the moment, as I remember it being when I was that age. Um, and I think that that's what I loved. I loved just remembering all of that. And it does, when you read it, it takes you back to your own childhood, like so fast. Um, but young adult stories as well, there's nothing is taboo. You can talk about anything and everything because kids are curious. They want to know. They want to learn. They want to develop. They want, they want the diversity. They want absolutely everything. So you can have so much fun writing for that audience. Um, and I only realised that once I started to read young adult fantasy and then thought, actually, right, OK, I'm going to have a go at writing my own. Um, and it just opened this door for me that, yeah, I was more than happy to walk through. Amazing. <laughs> just at the end there you spoke about the open door to be able to write about pretty much any subject which I love um, as a possibility because I think sometimes as writers all we want is the openness of creativity to be able to just write down whatever almost using our 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 hand and our pens as purely just to get what's in our mind on paper and it can be about anything and then we don't want to have to scribble it all out just in case you know it's not quite right for the adult audience or politically right at the time and all of that kind of stuff however what interests me about the young adult audience is you're right about the subject matters, I, 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 I think, um, in terms of you can talk about almost anything. But my question, I guess, is do you feel a responsibility in the way that you tackle those subject matters? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and, and maybe that's the mum in me as well. Um, so I, I see my three children and the, the, the things they go through in their their world um and and listen to the conversations they have with their friends um and yeah i think i think a lot of it the girls and i was having this conversation the other day about things you tell your daughters over what you tell your sons and how it shouldn't be different you know <laughs> you should be you shouldn't have to safeguard your daughters and then let your boys do whatever they want but unfortunately we're still in that that zone aren't we um so when I listen to my sons versus my daughter and their friends, the conversations are so different and the, um, the lack of confidence and the lack of, of just respect and everything with the girls is, is so much stronger. So with my books, I always have a female protagonist and the arc pretty much is very similar depending on, on the story, but it's, it's always, you know, they're, they're, they've got to build that confidence. I want to show them that they can step into their personal power and be and do anything they want. Um, and it does feel like a responsibility to, to guide them down that path and say, do you know, it's okay. It's okay to say no. It's okay to speak up about 
things that you don't agree with. Um, you know, social media has almost taught us that we didn't say anything anymore because you're going to yeah. get shut down. And oh my yeah. goodness, you know, that's, and the kids are living social media. That's their, their bag, isn't it? We are me. I, I, you know, I was there when it was invented, but for them, it's just the norm. Um, so how do you, how do you show them how to navigate that um, through storytelling? And hopefully they take those lessons because you do. I mean, there's the stories we've probably, or books we've both read where we still live by the principles of the story. Definitely. Um, you know, so that's what I hope to do. And yeah, it, it does feel like an obligation, but I'm proud to, to be able to do it massively. I think you're right to be proud. Um, as you say, this, there seems to be more and more hurdles, I guess, in the way of being able to express yourself. Um, at least perceived hurdles. There's a, there's a question about whether or not the hurdles are actually there um, or whether or not there's something that we put in front of ourselves because of, I guess, the fear of reaction, but sometimes the question of whether or not the reaction of certain people is important yeah, yeah. is something that's very, very hard to navigate because if you have a wave, a tribe of people who are going in one way, to be able to counter that, and it takes a lot of bravery, it takes courage yeah, yeah. to be able to counter that and to put your point of view out there. It's so, teaching kids to, to think about their safety at all times, isn't it? You know, to, to be, feel safe um, and, and just own that and, and understand that they have options um, and that they yeah. don't have to be herded down a specific route if they don't want to. Yeah, um, I think that's amazing. The, the, the fact that you're thinking about these things when you're writing, I think is so important. And as you say, the fact that you're using stories to show the possibilities of what can be done and what can happen. Because going back to the conversation we had earlier about facts versus stories, um, I think one of the big things that you see on social media, but also in life, is that people enter a debate which can sadly often turn into an argument. I think they're two slightly different things. Um, and when they, as soon as they start talking, they throw a fact out or they say, I'm right because this is my opinion. And that can sometimes, that can sometimes win you the argument. But quite often, it's not necessarily about winning the argument that matters what matters is being able to explain your point of view in a way that enough people will listen that they will understand it empathize with it and some will agree yeah. some will disagree but they might be able to put yourself in their shoes and for me that's where stories come into play what, what are your thoughts on that i 100 agree yeah empathy is a big thing but curiosity as well yeah. um why you know, why do we have to be on one side or the other? You know, why why can't we actually debate and talk about it and go, do you know, I'd never, I don't agree with you, but I've never thought about it like that. But thank you. Thank you for opening that up for me. Um, I am an eternal student. I could happily go to college, like, forever and learn something new every single, like, um, year. I'll come with you. Yeah. <laughs> 
that curiosity. We should always be learning and understanding and finding out different ways of doing things. And, you know, why do some people like doing that this way and, and vice versa? And I think kids are, um, or young adults especially, are more open to that. That, you know, the older, gen as, as oldies, you know, we're like setting our ways and all the rest of it. And that's how I suppose the young adults see us. Um, whereas they want to know, they want to know what's going on. They want to explore it and, uh, and, and dig a bit deeper. Um, and I love that. And you're part of helping them to mould that process as well with the books that you write. So maybe, uh, maybe you can give us a synopsis of one of your, uh, your latest novels to get, uh, to whet the appetite a little for, uh, for some oh, of our listeners. Okay. Um, let me have a think. So, the um i've got well i've got a non-fiction book coming out in december which is my it'll be my last personal development book so that's self-help for the helpless um but the book after that which will be coming out hopefully next year is called the last princess and that was something so that's young adult but it's vikings so it's almost history rather than fantasy and it's something i'm fascinated tudor history viking history anything like that absolutely fascinates me and um, I did, I did, you know, Ancestry.com where you can trace your lineage and all the rest of it. But I did their DNA test and it came back where I was thinking I was 38% Scandinavian. So for me, I was like, right, wow. I was a shield maiden. I'm going to take that and I'm running with it. I don't care what it actually means, but that's it. So it was funny. Like for me, it was the storyteller in me was like, oh, wow, I'm going to have fun with this. Um, so that was what made me think about writing a Viking novel, if you like. So the protagonist is Edith and she is a princess. And um, she, uh, I, <laughs> with most of my fantasy novels, there's normally a beheading, a death or, or a murder within the first <laughs> couple of pages. <laughs> I'll warn you like, like that now. Um, so she loses her family very early on. Um, and ends up being taken, um, they think she's a, a slave, uh, they, they take her away and she ends up being taken off to uh, Viking territory. Um, and the, the story itself is about um, loyalty and family and friendship and standing up for what you believe in. So her crown, if you like, was taken away from her by the enemy. And so she has to work out how important that is for her, who can help her get it back if that's what she wants, um, and how she can find that strength to, you know, avenge her family. Um, I had so much fun writing that book. I really did. Um, and I, yeah, I can't wait for it to come out. I won't give you the spoilers at the end. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't give it away. Don't give it away. But uh, but I think you've excited a lot of people already. Um, I'm only a little bit upset because there wasn't a turkey in it. But other than that, it's it sounds amazing. <laughs> I promise. Now the next book I write, I'm going to put a turkey in it just for you. <laughs> Please, do. can you put a turkey in it called Stefano? Uh, actually, not if you're plucking it. Maybe don't. Put a <laughs> But no, it genuinely, it sounds like such a good book. Um, I, the, the story is, is is brilliant. So I, I, I will urge, I know that people can't buy it yet, but as soon as it comes out for people to go and search for it. Um, so I want to go back to your first story, what you opened up with. And you mentioned the, the moment of... <laughs> 
pretending you weren't that bothered when you got the uh, <laughs> when you got the letter from Penguin. That happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, ju- just another one from Penguin. Gosh. <laughs> and one thing you said, and, and it really kind of hit home, and it was towards the end of your story, was the idea of the validation you got from Penguin. And something which I wonder about that and wonder kind of how you were able to to help other authors going forward is so that was an external validation that was coming from the outside and it's now something that as you say it's a moment that you look back on and it helps you to go yes um for people who don't necessarily have that kind of level of external validation for some people who are just starting out and don't have it at all yeah. how do you encourage people to look inwards for validation or do you encourage them to do that am I going down the wrong path yeah no absolutely I do um I think that it, it all starts with the why why are you why do you want to write a book I'm doing a free challenge this week at the moment and that was yesterday's task for them to think about their why And I said, there's lots of reasons. It might literally be, I want to see my name in print, which was one of mine. Um, It might be that it's to boost your business profile. You know, you've got a book, so it opens up for speaking gigs and the rest of it. Um, A lot of the ladies, they put in the thread um, that they wanted to help people. That was a massive why for a lot of them. Um, And for me, I always say, once you know your why, the other part of it is, is the fun element of it. This is a massive project to write a book, like massive. And it takes time, dedication, physical and mental space, um, grit, determination, you know, all of that. And so you need to kind of dig deep into the you and find the fun. And that helps with that validation because you're sitting around thinking, I'm really enjoying this. Yeah. So actually, I'm. That's what's going to keep me going. Um, you know, hopefully, eventually, the the book comes out. You get good reviews, which then becomes that external validation. But you don't need that if you're enjoying what you're doing and you believe in it enough. That's validation enough in my book, definitely. That's. I think that's brilliant. Um, it it really crosses over with. The, the other side to book creations business when we're working with clients is, is on uh, their brand defining who they are as yes. a business. Um, and one of the key elements when we're doing a workshop with clients, and this is something that doesn't usually get resolved within the workshop, but we really, really, really work on is exactly that is the why, why are you in business in the first place? What gets you up every morning is that shared to some degree among the team? Everyone has individual motivations. Of course they do. But is there some kind of shared why that really, really pushes you forward? And then how does that excite you? And I think it's such an important factor in so many aspects of life. And the fact that you also use it in your coaching to get authors excited about writing their book. And also, as you say, the validation is just in feeling good yeah. about what they're doing. And so you don't necessarily need 
as much as it's amazing, you don't need Penguin to come and say, um, we'd like to publish it. Yeah, you just you just need to go, this is amazing. I'm writing every day, which is what I really love doing. And yeah. 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 Oh, I like that a lot. I really like that. It's brilliant. So um, we've touched on the, the, the writing career and the, the stories, and we've touched on all of the kind of moments that you've had, which you shared in the blog and going on to the nonfiction where you said you couldn't be bothered. But something that I don't think we've talked about enough yet is how often you've been embarrassed and why. <laughs> <laughs> Too many to mention. <laughs> there's, there's one specific story, which I'm remembering from when you wrote for the Storyteller with, uh, for the Storyteller with Puck Initiative, but you can tell any story you want, just as long as it's embarrassing enough for, for us to all have a good. <laughs> oh, far too many. There really are far too many embarrassing moments. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was me. Multitasking is, I think, well, I'm a Gemini as well, so I... I always have to do 30 things at once, which is probably not a good idea. But this particular day, I had my computer on and I had about 50 tabs open, as you do, you know, flitting from Facebook to Instagram to your emails to all sorts. And back then, my publisher, were um, they sent me a message through Facebook Messenger. So I had Facebook open, the little messenger tab was open at the bottom and they were asking me for a picture that's um, like an inspiration so when I, when I write a book I make um, a mood board like a bit like a vision board and I put all my character inspiration onto it so I was kind of telling them about this particular picture and they were like oh send it to me and I was like okay I just need to find it but I'd left the little tab box open so I then went off well you get distracted don't you once you come off one tab and go into another so I then started to open pictures and all sorts so the tab was growing and growing and then an email popped up from my personal trainer saying we're waiting on your next week's pictures because I was doing the Joe Wicks 90 day whatever it was and you don't weigh yourself in that you have to send like progress photos in so I quickly had to look at the photos going oh I did take them yes right I need to send this one to the email and I double clicked to open it to check it was the right one which inadvertently then sent a picture of me in my bra and pants to my publisher. <laughs> I have never <laughs> Googled how to take a picture off my Facebook Messenger so fast <laughs> in my life. It, it's never been mentioned. <laughs> They're still my publisher, so hopefully it wasn't so gross and awful that they've like it's imprinted on their minds forever. <laughs> But, yeah. I was going. I was going to ask what impact it had, but uh, but 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 only they will know. Yeah. Well, this is it. They they never said anything, so it must have been so horrific that they didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> or so amazing. I, I don't, don't don't yeah don't don't think in such negative terms. But uh... yes. oh my goodness. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that to uh, back to memory. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I had a good laugh about it when uh, when you first shared it, and I thought it was only fair that everybody else could have a good laugh. Well, after. <laughs> After the sheer panic of it of it happening, that later that day, I did actually put on Facebook, you're not going to believe what I've done. And I had people messaging me privately with just a row of crying face emojis. <laughs> and like, you've just made my day. And all, all my author friends were like, that is just genius, absolutely hilarious. So oh. yes, it was quite a moment. Absolutely. 
Brilliant. Um, I'm not going to share an embarrassing story with you. Um, no. <laughs> well, that's, that's not what I'm here for. I asked the questions. Um, but... <laughs> you just tease it out of us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But uh, but no, I, I, it's 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 just it's the kind of thing that's so so easy to do, and it's also the kind of thing that I think so many of us panic about we look and we go oh did we send that to the wrong person if it's an email or if it's a message etc but thankfully touch wood most of the time we haven't it's just in our heads and it's just that extra skip of a heartbeat but in your situation yes, this time there uh, were quite a few skips of the heartbeat that day, I have to say. <laughs> but it all works out in the end oh <laughs> uh, wow amazing <laughs> um, so in a second, I would like to take you across to your cow shed, if that's possible. Yes. But before before we do, I just wanted to um, give our listeners a, a, an opportunity if they would like to either find you so that they can read your books or they would like support with starting to write their own. With your coaching, it's for nonfiction books, right? Or do you do both? Um... Yeah, I kind of promote the nonfiction side of it because when on LinkedIn, that just makes sense. Um, right. But in my um, in my accountability coaching club, which is a, a monthly membership, I've got fiction, memoir, nonfiction. Brilliant. So um, yeah, and actually in the challenge, I've got children's books and everything. So I think because I write everything, I can help pretty much with everything. So um, yeah. Yeah, I think I as you say, you've been there and done it, so you can support yeah. people who are now. Absolutely going there and doing it so okay fantastic so if people want that support where can they find you um the my business is Shelley Wilson writing mentor so if you kind of google that you'll find me in all different places um my main platform where a lot I share a lot of stuff is actually Twitter um and my handle is just Shelley Wilson and the number 72 um but Shelley is s-h-e-l-l-e-y so you get the second e for free (laughs) um and and i'm totally giving away my age in that uh, in that tagline there aren't i but there we go but twitter i love um it's a brilliant writing community fabulous blogging community and uh so i share a lot of stuff on there as well um but yeah shelly wilson writing mentor if you give that a google you'll find me fantastic um also i will ask you um after the episode um to send me across all of the links to all of the different places and we'll make sure we, we we put that onto the show notes for everyone as well now, the one place I started searching for you, but I couldn't find you, was in your cow shed. So maybe you should tell everyone a little bit more about that. <laughs> maybe I should call my writing like, office the, the cow shed. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, yeah. I, um, I, this comes back to reading. So when I was a kid, I used to devour the Sweet Dreams series, which was a, like an American teen romance book. Um, I'm sure there are lots of your listeners that are go, now going, oh my God, I remember that. Um, but because they were American, they were all obviously American stories. They were set in, you know, cowboys in Texas and, and all sorts of things. And I think back then, I always thought I want to go to America this year. I'm, I'm going to go and meet a cowboy and live happily ever after. You know, as you do when you're sort of 15, 16, you think that's going to happen. Um, so get, getting to America was a big thing for me. And when I was 22, I think I was, um, I signed up for Camp America and I got to go for the first time. So in my head, I was this big traveller, extraordinaire. I was, this was going to be the first trip of many. As it was, I was so homesick. I, it was, I really struggled when I got there. Since I've kind of grown out of that and I travel all over the place, but that particular time I really did struggle 
and I remember ringing home uh, to my dad and it was the 4th of July actually and I rang home and I was in tears and of course my poor dad you know thousands and thousands of miles away there's nothing he can do <laughs> and all he, all he could say to me was suck it up you're a Wilson and that was it and I kind of went right I'm here I'll make the most of it and it actually turned that conversation turned everything around and I had the best time but the staff on camp me being one of them we lived in a converted cow shed down this very dark lane in the middle of the Catskill Mountains and yeah it was it was quite a building I have to say <laughs> um, but I've got such fond memories of it I mean it was like corrugated roof then we all used to climb out onto the roof to sing songs and, and play music of a night and it was literally in the middle of nowhere um so when it when it was night time I was running up the bar and I used to have to walk back down in the middle of the night and I used the, the staff member used to jump out at me and my screen <laughs> would carry across the mats the Catskill Mountains it, yeah every night they'd do it to me but uh yeah so my converted converted cow shed was um the most unbelievable building to house staff in, but uh, I have fun, fun memories of it. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. As has this whole conversation been, um, I think we've uh, talked about turkeys. Uh, we've talked... <laughs> We've, we've talked about cow sheds, uh, we've talked about werewolves, um, I, 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 we, we, we've then got onto the serious business of writing and coaching um, and uh, yeah, yeah, we had to, we had to add some, uh, we, we, we can't be all levity. Um, so, so, but genuinely, um, it has been such a pleasure to have you on as a guest. Um, I've loved every minute of it. Thank you. So Thank much, Shelley. Thank you so much for inviting me. I've loved talking to you. Well, like you say, we feel like we've known each other forever, don't we? So uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I imagine as well. I imagine that's going to come across. Um, I feel like uh, yeah, there's definitely an energy here. So. <laughs> Thank you again, Shelley Wilson, and thank you to everyone for listening to another fabulous guest sharing magical stories. Remember, if stories are your thing and you want to find out more about their power in business, our friend Andrew Forbes has a great podcast called Leaning Forward. Make sure you do just that and lean forward after this story from Puck Creations. Many years had passed since Anita first found that small gap in the rocks. She was only 12 and didn't really take in the concept of danger, so the opportunity to explore something small and dark could only have been described as an adventure. When her mum asked her about all of the scratches on her arms and legs, she said she had fallen from a tree. She didn't know why, but she didn't want to tell the truth. She didn't want to give away her newfound secret. It was, after all, like nothing anybody had ever seen before. Through a hole just about big enough to crawl into, Anita saw the most magnificent cave, lit completely by nature. A million small gaps had created the space for the sun to shine, and shine it did. Upon a library of more than a hundred thousand books, each one calling out to Anita, to read. As if that wasn't magical enough, Anita was transported, literally, into the scene of each colourful creation. In front of her eyes, the narrative would play out with every page that she turned, 
Dragons would fly, spaceships would land, love would ignite, and sometimes everybody would fight. These books, fictional though they may have been, had become a reality for this child of imagination. You've just been listening to the Storytelling with Puck podcast. We'll be back very soon, so make sure you subscribe and catch up on any of the episodes you've missed.